Welcome to C3 Church Tugra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. Wesley's been here, but I've never been here before. And um, Wesley's told me all about you for many years. Many years ago when he was here, he was all excited. He came home and told me everything. He thought I'd been here because uh, he just thought so. But uh, I want to speak to you tonight. The Lord's just put a few thoughts on my mind. In fact, actually, Kim asked me to share on this story I'm going to share tonight because it's actually very relevant to the whole understanding of what she just said as well. Um, Before I start, I always like to... How many of you have ever seen me before? I've seen me before. Okay, so a lot of times I prophesy. Sometimes, most times when I prophesy, I shake. Sometimes people... Uh, are a little bit alarmed by that, but I wrote a book called Ecstatic Prophecy. Ecstatic Prophecy is not some new fun thing. It is actually the oldest, most primitive form of prophecy in the Bible. And wherever you see the Spirit falling on people, from the, er, the most primitive form of prophecy in the Bible, from Samuel in the school of the prophets, you f- see pe- men and women, um, you know, they, they fall, they shake, they tremble, they fall like dead, they go into catatonic states. It happened to all the major prophets. They, um, you know, they went into visions, and it was the birth of the church. And when uh, Peter got up to explain Pentecost, what he said, and, and ecstatic prophecy is actually taken from a Greek New Testament word. I mean, I went to Baptist seminary, and, and Greek, uh, the word ecstasis, where people are in awe and wonder because of the, the presence and the filling of God is found several times in the Greek New Testament, generally associated with the prophetic. And what, um, uh, what happened is when Jesus told the, the disciples to go wait till they received power, said, go, Acts 1-8, go wait until you receive power from on high. And what was the power for? And you shall be my witnesses. The power is to be a witness. And in Acts 2, so you all know the story, they waited 10 days in the upper room. And in Acts 2, when the power fell, I want to tell you this, power looks like something. Power looks like something. Peter's exegesis of Pentecost was he pulled scriptures out of the book of Joel and he said, these people are not drunk like you think, but they're filled with the Spirit. They weren't just filled in their mind. They weren't just filled in their emotions. They were actually physically filled with the Spirit of God until they looked like they were drunk. This is the testimony of the prophets. Where, In fact, wherever you see, you know, the power of God coming close, uh, particularly associated with prophecy in the, in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, from the book of Revelation, you know, men and women fall 
shake, tremble, whole buildings shake, mountains shake. I mean, you know, they, they, in the spirit, in the Lord's day, they, it is, it's just like commonplace in the Bible. And now those of us in cultural Western societies don't know what it, prophecy looked like in the Bible anymore. So we have to get back to the Bible. So I wrote this book because in the last days, Peter said, this is what Joel was talking about. This is what it's probably going to look like. This is what it's looked like in revival history from all the way from the, the you know, Bible revivals to early church revivals to the revivals of Wesley, Whitfield, uh, uh, the Quakers, the Huguenots. You cannot almost find a revival in church history where masses amount of the people were saved without men and women being filled with God, shaking, falling, trembling, you know, in Saul's day, you know, thrashing until his clothes fell off and you know his Saul also among the prophets when he lied naked all day and all night prophesying probably I don't think voluntarily took his clothes off probably he you know was filled in such a way that he couldn't control himself and and um, and uh, I, I used to hear as a Baptist you know that God is a gentleman and I think well have those people read the Bible uh, many times, you know, the, especially the prophets, the, the prophets. And so I wrote this book to, to prepare people for the final outpouring of the Spirit because in the last days, this is going to happen in increasing fashion. And the, the, the primary, you know, in, in Acts 2, the birth of the church, the New Testament church, these men are not drunk like you think. This is what Joel was talking about. Uh, in, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And what are they going to do? Old men are going to dream dreams. Young men are going to have visions. Men and women are going to prophesy. The primary manifestation of the filling of the spirit is prophecy. You know, dreams, visions, outpouring. So, and oftentimes, it you know, it has a, uh, it's not a Western style. It's not like culturally, uh, you know, it's to be sensitive. It's, it's biblically, you know, uh, so, so I'd like to give this book to a pastor who likes to study the Bible. Is there, okay, great. Okay. Awesome. And, uh, oh, good. Cause this one I'm going to give to your husband. No, I just, Wesley said, give this. And these are praying the Bible. We, as, uh, we, we, Wesley on his first 40 day fast, uh, Got this idea that he was trying to teach people to pray the Bible, to meditate on Scripture. This book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, on the Bible, day and night, every morning, every evening, like they did at the time of the, you know, evening and morning sacrifice, Joshua 1.8. And, um, and then you'll be prosperous and successful. How many of you want to be prosperous and successful? Changing the world, okay? So uh, meditating on the Bible. So Wesley, on his first 40-day fast, realized he was telling everybody to not eat for 40 days, only drink water and juice, and, and they wouldn't know how to pray. Even the disciples had to learn to pray. So he thought, I got this idea that I will get great intercessors that already know how to pray. I'll record them, put some music behind it. And uh, so he got like Mike Bickle, Lou Engle, Ken God, James Gall, many, you know, from, the, uh, from North America, uh, people that had already done this, and he recorded them, and them praying scripture. Like we have Mike Bickle praying the Song of Solomon, um, Book of Revelation, um, uh, we have, you know, James Gall praying prayers for Israel. Ken Gott from England praying prayers for the harvest. And this one, Wesley added extra. He told me to give this to you, Phil. 
All to, this one has all 20 CDs back there, but you can buy them in volumes, um, you know, volume one, volume two, volume three. And just to get the Bible in your brain, it also has some teaching on it, how to actually do it. So, uh, but, uh, uh, so uh, that's awesome you had your 31st anniversary. Wesley and I just last week had our 35th anniversary. Um, yeah. I got married when I was 10. No, 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 no. No, 20. I got married actually when I was 20. I also had my uh, uh, 55th birthday last week. So, and we have five children. Our oldest is 28 and our youngest is 20. And um, I want to tell you a, a little story tonight because Kim asked me to, to share this at some point. But I want to give a bit of a preamble before I do. If you want to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Uh, this is, you know, you've heard the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Uh, I mean, when we were conservatives, it was just sort of the, the mandate to go into all the world, make disciples of nation. I was in Campus Crusade when I was, you know, in university. And, uh, uh, you know, we've just, we've just loved to these verses. We've loved these verses of, 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 go, of just expanding the kingdom, of going into all the world and preaching the gospel since our early days as, as believers. But uh, Mark shall be saved. He who is disbelieved shall be, shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany who? Who do these signs accompany? Those who have believed. So this is not for the super Christians. This is not for the elite. This is not for, you know, just a few. This is for every single believer. These signs, they, they accompany or they follow. Wherever there's true belief, these signs, are they follow true belief. It's just a, because this is the God that we serve. This is who he is. This is what he does. All right, it's, his name is Jehovah Jireh, the God who heals. And this is, these are the signs that will accompany. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Yeah. Now, it has taken me a long time to actually make that a reality, even though I'm a believer in my life. I want to say that, you know, in our early days, we loved to preach the gospel, but we didn't understand very much the power of the Spirit. And Wesley and I would be, you know, out on the streets preaching the gospel in our, in our own town, and many people would come to Jesus. And uh, we have stories. I mean, we, 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 got, we were preaching the gospel out on the street. One time, this guy named Ron got saved. He didn't have anywhere to live. And so we invited him into our little apartment, you know, to stay with us. And one day, we were at a youth, youth meeting, Tuesday night at a youth meeting at the, at the AOG church, even though we were uh, conservative. We had friends that went there, and we went to this event. And uh, our, our, one of our friends gave us a call in the middle of the meeting. He phoned. There wasn't cell phones back then. He phoned the church office and found us, tracked us down. And, and when Wesley went to answer the phone, our, our friend Bob, who lived next door to us in another apartment next door, he said, you got to come right now. We, we have a problem. And I said, and Wesley said, what's the problem? He said, well, there's something the matter with Ron, the guy that we just led to Christ the, the week, you know, and during that week. He says, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's acting really, really weird. And we said, well, what do you mean? Well, well, he's doing weird things. Like what? Well, he's, He's growling and, and his, his eyes are rolled back in his head and, you know, and, and, and Wesley said, okay, we'll come home. And we go home to our apartment and Bob is in our apartment. He's already put Ron in our apartment. 
And when we see Ron, he's not looking normal. We said, Bob, what happened? Well, he said, I got a phone call. Ron said, come down to the park, pick me up. I went down to pick him up, and, when, and, and he was really aggressive, so I put him in the back, the back seat, and he was snapping and growling and going, rrr, rrr, looking at me weird. And he said, you know, so I thought I'd better drive home really quick. And as I was driving home, Ron pulled the seatbelt, you know, when I was driving, and began to choke me as I'm driving, and lean forward and goes, I am legion. And he said, I knew there was something wrong right there. I knew there was something wrong right there. So long story short, we, we recognize, because we read the Bible, that that was probably something to do with the demonic. But we, we were like the disciples. We did not know how to cast him out. We were, huh? We were actually taught from pulpits in our conservative church that there was probably no demons left in Canada. It was a Christian country. You know, there might be a few left in Africa, but, you know, the gospel had gone forth. And, and so this was like, ha, ah, you know, we were, and, and we were just very zealous. And I would take the Bible and I'd walk back and forth and be reading it. And Wesley was, you know, saying, come out, come out. And he wasn't coming out, so he kept calling more friends. And Ron, you know, under the power of all that demonic influence, began to get increasingly aggressive. So Wesley, because we weren't having any success, Wesley got all his friends. He put one, one on one leg of Ron, one on the other leg of Ron, one on one arm, one, and Wesley sat on him and said, come out, come out, but he wouldn't come out. And in fact, at one point, he had, he had like every Bible sign of demon possession. You know, he had foam at the mouth, his tongue would come out and go, and his eyes rolled back in his head. And he started at one point beginning to name the sins of people in the room. And Wesley thought that wasn't good, so he, Wesley was sitting on him, and so Wesley pulled off his sock and said, shut up, and stuck his sock in his mouth. <laughs> And uh, anyway, you know, uh, and he had the strength of 10 men. It was really uh, like, you know, it was really like the guy with Legion. And it was not a pretty sight. And finally, we didn't know what to do. We were all young in our 20s. So we phoned the elders. And the elders came home, uh, came over, and said, look, you know, he's got foam at the mouth. He's saying all this stuff. And the elders said, uh, take him to the hospital. So they called the ambulance, took him to the hospital, you know, uh, in a straitjacket, because the ambulance attendants couldn't hold him down, so they put him in a straitjacket, and um, took him to the hospital, checked him out, and about an hour later, we get a call from the hospital, and the hospital said, you know, we've checked him out, there's absolutely nothing wrong, you'll have to come and pick him up, and we went, pick him up and so we had to pick him up and take him and he, you know we we didn't get a wink of sleep that night you know we uh, wesley called agape force in texas and we all took an offering and we shipped him to texas the next day because we could not cast him out and you know and so for many years i kind of had the paradigm that i was not successful at casting out demons, and I kind of made excuses. I wasn't biblical, okay? Instead of increasing my experience to the Bible, I decreased the Bible to my experience. And I kind of began to say, well, I don't have that gift. I have this gift and not that gift. And, uh, you know, I just wasn't, I, I didn't, I didn't just, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, you know, until people, uh, 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 and I, I actually avoided casting out demons from that because I had no success.
And one day, many years later, probably 20 years later, a few years ago, I was in Holland. And I'm in the middle of a worship service. I'm in a conference. There's probably almost 2,000 people. There are 1,700, 1,800 people in this conference room. And they're worshiping away. And in the middle of worship, I'm one of the speakers at the conference. Uh, The Lord says to me, I want you to make an altar call for everybody involved in the occult. And I'm thinking, you know, my first thought was the sock. That was my first thought. And I'm thinking, you know, God, remember the sock. He said, yeah, you know, I, I don't care. Just make a... So I actually grabbed the mic. I, because I was one of the speakers I could. I said, I feel like I have something. I grabbed the microphone. And, and I, I stood up. And I said, I, I, and I didn't have faith. Because I'm thinking, how? This is a Christian conference. Could there just be people in the occult? Although the leader of the conference, his wife had been heavily involved in the occult and had been groomed as a child to go into a satanic satanic thing. So probably there was something to do with that. But she got gloriously saved and whatnot. And uh, anyway, so, and so I actually, this was my altar call. I was thinking, how could there be, you know, people in the occult? So I said, if there's anybody involved in the occult here, or if you have been involved in the occult, and I kind of just added that line on it, uh, uh, would you come up forward right now? Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know if anybody's going to come forward. This seems a little weird for an altar call. Hey, all the occult people, just come forward for the altar call, you know. And lo and behold, about 20 people came forward. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you know, I'm not good at this. You know, I'm thinking about the sock. And, and I was sitting on him, and I'm, but but I'm just by faith stepping into it, and I you know, and I and I've grown, pr- praise the Lord, in the Lord since then, and, and, and whatnot. So I just said, I, I I looked at this one guy, and I was drawn to him, and so I walked towards him, and as I walked towards him, I could I could feel the the demonic activity, and so I just said, in Jesus' name, and as I said, in Jesus' name. He was a Dutchman. And do you know that the Dutch are the tallest people in the world? Honestly, they're they're not the Amazons. Apparently, it's the Dutch. And so I I couldn't really reach him because I was kind of short. So I I, I tried to put my hand on his shoulder. And and as I said, in Jesus' name, and I walked towards him, suddenly he just went like this. And his eyes rolled back. And he started going, rah, like that. And and, and I'm I'm leading the conference. And, you know, I've called that up. And when he went, rah, he scared me. I went, ah like that. And suddenly I jumped back and suddenly I remembered who I was in God and who God was in me. And so I stepped forward and I said, in Jesus name again. And as soon as I said, in Jesus name again, about 15 of the 20 people began throwing up all over. It was a mess. It was also, it was awful. And I said, ministry team, oh, you know, help, you know, and they got some buckets. And anyway, and we had a mass deliverance, but I told you that story to say this. No matter where you start in the kingdom, no matter where you start, you can start by sticking socks in their mouth. And you can end with mass deliverance because we're all supposed to grow until we become doers of the word and not hearers only because the Bible calls that deception deceiving our own self. When we read it, 
and don't do it. You know, and maybe we won't hit it right away, you know, uh, but, but as we, you know, as we behold him, we are transformed into the same image. And the Bible is the greatest revelation of God that we have. And, you know, uh, David said, it's like honey to me. I eat it. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So just, it's the breakfast of champions, you know, uh, what you got to eat. And um, so, uh, I, you know, in most of the things in my Christian life, I've started out really not successful. I mean, there are certain sovereign things that God has done, and, you know, those are relatively easy. God gives gifts individually as he wants to, but it doesn't, wherever you start is not be where, it should not be where you end. There is, uh, there are a whole bunch of verses that talk about increasing in the knowledge of God, about being transformed from glory to glory, about ascending Mount Zion, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, 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 um, just becoming mature in the Lord. So uh, this is for all of us. We, we all start somewhere, but we don't end there. We're, we don't, and we don't park anywhere. You know, wherever you are now, you can still increase. There's still way more of God to know. It's kind of like Ezekiel's river. You can start at your ankles, go to your thighs, you know, go to your chest, and then you can get over your head in the knowledge of God. It's, it's amazing. And knowing God is not an intellectual exercise. It's not knowing facts about God. The, the Greek word for knowing, gnosis, is all about the experiential knowing God, experiencing God. What God does, the, the greater works that Jesus did, we do, you know? And it, it's just the story of the Bible. It just, it's what happens to people that know God. They begin to start doing the same things that he did and, and, and increase in that. So, this is for all of us. And I, I, I want to also say that I, I'm a little daft. And so I need, I love prophecy. I, I love the gift of prophecy. It's the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I mean, in the early church, they had so much prophecy. Everyone had a word, a, you know, a, 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 a hymn, a psalm, whatever. They had to decrease prophecy to two or three to bring order. I mean... And the early church, it just was prolific. And, and I, I, I just can't imagine a local church without the testimony of Jesus in it. You know what I mean? The, the rhema word, the, the, the thing that he's telling us today, and it encourages us. And prophecy has always helped me to, to shoot higher for the word of God. Because I settle. By, by, by temperament, I settle. And so... One of the things I settled on was, you know, I, I prophesy other people do other things. And like I just told you with deliverance, I, I didn't have great experience in that. So I just thought, well, I, I'll prophesy and somebody else can do that. But uh, I began and I never even thought, it never crossed my mind that a sign that should follow me would be that, you know, in, in my name you'll cast out demons, you know, you'll, you'll have authority over, uh, you know, sickness and, and, and the lame will walk and, and, and those kind of things. It just never even crossed my mind. I don't know why, but I just, even though we had a lot of, you know, movement of the spirit in my local church, 
It never crossed my mind that that would be something I should be doing, praying for the sick all the time. I mean, I prayed for the sick, but I never saw any results. So I kind of, whenever somebody was sick, I would call somebody else to do it. And I didn't have faith that that should be something that I should see success in as well, just because I'm a believer in Jesus. It, this is who he is. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who heals. Rofe, go, yeah, Jireh's provider. You're right. Jehovah Rofe. Thank you, babe. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, and that, you know, in all of these things, we should just be, be growing up into all aspects, Ephesians 4 says. All aspects, not one aspect. Sometimes we start with a revelation of grace, and we camp on grace our whole life. Never move into Holiness, be ye holy as I am holy. Never, never move into the next, you know, and in into another and another aspect of who he is. And so, you know, we want to we want to see that. So anyway, I began to get all these words on healing. And I remember when I first got them, I thought, wow, why didn't I think of it? And I, I would be pulled out of a crowd, and they would say, you know, I see that the Lord wants to use you in healing. And I, I see that the, the God, there's going to be an amazing healing gift that you will walk in. And they began to do, in the language of God, because this is the way God thinks, exceedingly abundantly above anything I could ask or think, and begins to, like, you know, pull you into those realms that naturally you would never say about yourself. And I had this word over and over again. God is going to use you to heal the sick like Catherine Kuhlman. And I would go to the next country, you know, and I would get another word. God's going to use you for healing like Catherine Kuhlman. Or they'd say this and I'd kind of go, well, and, and it, it was not something I ever thought about myself. And so after I, I, be, I got, you know, not just two or three, I mean, the Bible says every word is confirmed by two or three, I would get the same word, you know, for a, in a probably a 10-month period. I probably got it 10 times, 10 different locations, 10, and finally I said, I guess God wants me to heal the sick. <laughs> so then my, the way my mind kicks in, I think, well, and because God is so great, He's so awesome, and he's so big. And he said, you know, God that said, let there be light, and boom, you know, sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies that had the capacity to increase, you know, at the rate of one point something trillion miles per year. That's, you know, that, that's how the galaxies go. They, they're actually increasing. The universe is expanding, as the scientists say. So I would go, wow, you know, if God wants me to heal the sick, then I should probably pray for wheelchairs because a wheelchair to God is the same as a headache. And I'm just going to confess a little bit of my Canadian analytical skepticism. Sometimes I'd been in meetings and people would say, okay, does anybody here have a headache? And I'm thinking, a headache, you know. And I'm in the front row and I'm the leader and I'm thinking, a headache. And I'm, I kind of despised prayer for headaches, you know. And I thought, it seems like, you know, how can you tell if anybody's getting healed if it's just a headache? And so I thought, if God's going to use me to pray for the sick, I'm going to go for the wheelchairs. So, and so, you know, after I got that word about the 10th time, I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. And I began to look around for the wheelchairs. And I 
And I found a wheelchair and I walked up and now I'm armed with 10 prophetic words and I'm waging war. I'm with these prophecies that were given me. And I said, you know, and I felt it. You know, I felt like a faith by the time I got that word again, that God was really going to use me to heal the sick. So I prayed with my whole little heart. You know, I was just praying with great faith and I'd say to this person, you know, uh, you know, I, I, Lord, we just thank you for your healing power. This is who you are. This is what you do. You did it over and over again. And Lord, you said greater things. And Lord, we just command this body to be healed in Jesus' name. And I'd look at the person. I'd say, you know, how do you feel? Can you move anything? Wiggle anything? You know, how about your toe? You know, anything. You know, and, and nothing ever happened. And so... I would get discouraged, and I'd, I'd say, well, I guess I don't have the gift of healing, so then I'd stop praying for the sick. And this went on and on, and finally I said, okay, God, I'll pray. And so for a period of about three and a half years, I just went after wheelchairs. Every meeting I was in, I just went after the wheelchair, and I would pray, and, you know, and, and nothing would ever happen, and I'd get another prophetic word, and I'd launch my faith again, and for three and a half years, everywhere I went, I looked for wheelchairs, and I prayed for wheelchairs. And then, and nothing ever happened. And one day, I was so frustrated at my hundredth, thousandth, two thousandth wheelchair with nobody ever getting healed. I looked up at the ceiling in frustration. And I said, God, am I doing something wrong? And I clearly heard him. Yes. And I go, what? And he goes, if you're faithful in a few things, I'll make you faithful over many things. Why didn't I think of that? And so I happened to be at a conference at our own church. And I, and I, I thought, that's it. I've got to start with headaches and work my way up. Oh, why didn't I think of that? So I, I, it was my turn to speak in the afternoon. I was so excited. And I stood up, and this is what I said. I said, I, I said that, hey, I said, you know, I'm just learning to pray for the sick. I specialize in headaches. Anybody here have a headache? Come on down, you know? And I had five people come forward for headaches, and this time I just knew I was going to get one. I thought, like, this is going to be my first visible healing. I'm going to, I'm so excited. This is, this is really going to happen for me today. And I was just bubbling, and I armed with faith. I went after those headaches, and, you know, I said to the person, you have a headache now? And, and I got to the, one of them, and they, 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 they said to me, and I said, you have a headache? And they said, yeah. And they said, I get debilitating migraines. Like I have to close all the windows in my house and turn off the lights. I start throwing up. I can't go to work. And suddenly, my, not only did I have faith, I had compassion. And I thought, wow, I never knew that. That, a fa you know, to some people, a headache is as debilitating as a wheelchair. And so I was so, so moved for that person because they were evident pain that I really prayed, not only with faith, but with compassion. And you know, the Bible says Jesus moved with compassion, healed the sick. And so I prayed for all five of them. And I said, does anybody feel better? And they didn't. But I didn't care because I knew I was going to get one. So I said, well, maybe, you know, like Jesus, you get better as you go. And so that night, I, went, I started looking for those headaches, you know, and I found the woman with the migraine, and I went up with great anticipation, and I said to her, I said, I said, how are you feeling now? You know, do you feel any better? And she goes, 
Well, actually, she says, after you prayed for me, I felt worse. And I looked up at the ceiling. I go, God, I'm making people sicker. Like, <laughs> I do not have the gift of feeling. Why do you keep telling me that, you know? And he just said, just keep going. And I prayed. I'm telling you, three and a half years I prayed for wheelchairs. Never saw anybody move that I know. So I began praying for headaches. I prayed for thousands of headaches again. Probably three and a half more years I prayed, I prayed for headaches. And I never saw one person that I know of got healed. And, you know, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm up north of this conference, and I, I had, like, phases, you know, where I'd pray with faith because I got another word, and then I'd go discouraged because nothing ever happened. And so I'm seven years into this praying for the sick now, but I determined... You know, by faith, you know, in Hebrews 11, they conquered kingdoms. By faith, they shut the mouths of lions. By faith, da da da, da. But others, you know, were sawn in two. And I thought, even if I'm a but other, I'm never going to reduce the Bible to my personal experience. I am going to pray in faith even if I never see it till the day I die. I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm just going to do it. I determine to not reduce the Bible to my personal experience, but I'm going to pray until my personal experience matches the Bible. So I just kind of, I just says, hey, we, we can all do this. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody here, okay? I'm talking to so, some of us that God wants to, uh, all of us to do this. What if, what if there weren't just a few Christian superstars? What if? You know, the priesthood of all believers took their place. And every single one of them believed every verse in the whole book. And they rose up like a great and mighty army. Come on. And every single one of them, you know, was going after the greater works that Jesus spoke of. Well, that's what's sort of what I think is God wants us all to be doing. And, and everything, every verse in the Bible, all God's prompt by these great and exceeding precious promises. We become partakers of his divine nature, it says in Peter, 1 Peter. So I'm up there. I'm up north. I'm with the Inuit. I'm on Baffin Island and the Eskimos, okay? I'm, I'm in Canada on Baffin Island, far north, and I'm doing a conference amongst the Eskimos. And they're like the first of the first peoples of Canada. They're, they're awesome. And, they, and I get this, I, the the most senior elder from the most northerly place in all of Canada, there's only two places higher than him, Pond Inlet on the far north end of Baffin Island, comes to me near the Arctic Circle, and he only speaks a Nuktatuk, and he starts speaking in a Nuktatuk, and the translator tells me he had a vision about me. And he wanted all the Inuit elders to come and anoint me, because I'm Canadian, they're Canadian, as a prophet, you know, as the first of the first peoples of Canada, as a prophet to the nations. So all the elders come around, and they only speak a Nuktatuk. It's an awesome language. A Nuktatuk, it sounds like that. You know, yeah, it's like tuk-tuks and nuk-tuk-tuk and muk-tuks and tuk tuk you know, everything in the world. It's awesome. And I used to be a high school French and German teacher, so I loved languages and just the sound of them, you know? So anyway, so they lay hands on me. And when they laid hands on me, I felt something in my spirit come alive that I had never felt before. I fell over and I lied on the ground for I don't know how long, but when I got up, it was ministry time. And for the first time, oh yeah, he gave me a prophecy about the narwhal under the sea. I was, it was I can't remember all of it, but it was amazing, you know, because they're very natural people. And, uh, and, and so when I got up, 
it was ministry time, and, and I, for the first time in my entire life, you know, the Bible says, and the presence of God was there to heal the sick. I felt that. And there's places in the spirit. There's a, you know, there's the seven spirits of God. And there's the spirit of knowledge. And I, I've walked, you know, rarely in the spirit of knowledge. And when you're in the spirit of knowledge, you understand how everything works, how heaven works, how the realms work, how, you know, it's just comes. It's amazing. It's like a gift in your, it's almost like, you know, the, the mystic book, the cloud of unknowing. Well, it's like walking in a cloud of knowing where you just know everything about how the spirit world works. And sometimes people come under that in the natural realm and, and you know, it's amazing. But the, the seven spirits of God, they have different manifestations and the presence of God was there to heal the sick. And I, I just knew it. And I stood in front of this long gray haired Inuit lady. And I said, are you sick anywhere? And she only spoke a nook to took and through the translator, she said, yes. She said, my knees, my knees are so bad. And she began to show me how she had to hobble up there. She could hardly walk. And so I prayed for her. And when I prayed for her, she started laughing and fell over. And I went, hot dog, I got one. I think, I think I got one, you know. You know, I was like, wow, you know. I was so excited because that, that coming under the authority of the first of the first people and that, that spirit anointing of, you know, the supernatural realm that they, they walk in just activated something in me when they laid hands on me. And I, I, I was like so, so excited that I, 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 and I prayed for a bunch of other people, but I went looking for that lady again. I said, what happened? You know, because she was laughing on the floor for a long time. I said, did you get healed? And the interpreter was talking to her. And he said, yeah. I said, well, bring her up here for a testimony. And so he brought her up, and, and, he, and he started to tell this testimony, and this was the testimony. She said, she said, I was so crippled, I could hardly walk. But she said, when, when they prayed for me, my knees got hot. And she said, when I woke up, uh, when I got up off the floor, I had per uh, full mobility in my knees, and I decided to go out and test it. So I walked a mile up Nipple Hill. And I'm going, I said to her, what, what did she say? What did she She walked a mile up Nipple Hill. And I go, what? what? And finally, he said, you know, Nipple Hill. And he said, anyway, the, the Eskimos, they're very natural. And there was a hill that just went straight up in the middle of the village. And so, so that's what they called it. So anyway, that's how I remember my first healing, okay? Uh, Nipple Hill. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, so I'm like so excited that, you know, it happened. And, and, I, and, and, and I, I go the next week to Sacramento, California, I was speaking at a conference. And when I get to the conference, I'm in my hotel room, and I said, Lord, you know, what do you want to do here? You know, I, I only want to do the things I see my father doing. What, what, what are you doing here? And the Lord says, I don't want you to preach. I said, okay. So what do you want to do? He said, I want you to run a healing service. And I'm, I'm thinking, um, okay, Lord, I didn't want to argue, but I thought it. Like, I have a healing testimony I have seven years of healing failure and a healing testimony of one. <laughs> and you want me to run a healing service? He says, yes. I said, okay. Why don't we work together? Why don't you tell me what you want to heal? And I'll write it down. I'll call it out. You heal it. Perfect, he said. So I said, so tell me, you know, what do you want to heal? Man, he begins to give me, in, like I saw no angels, I had no audible voices, I had the stillest, smallest, quietest 
you know, that like the still small voice of God just began to speak. Like, and if I didn't know the voice of God better, I would have thought I was making it up. And so he starts telling me things. And then, I, and what I would do, I'd write something down. I go, you know, did I make that up? You know, did I, did I make that up? And then I think, nah, I wouldn't think like that. It's probably not something I think. And I'd like, I'd be analyzing my whole. And so I wrote down about five or six words of knowledge that were very specific. And when I got to the meeting that night, I just, I just, <laughs> this is a tip. Fake it till you make it, okay? I just stood up as though I had done this every day of my life. And I just stood up and I said, you know, I said, God, you know, I was talking to the Lord and he doesn't, you know, want me to preach tonight. He just wants to have a healing service. And so I said, so I'm going to call out a few words of knowledge and we're going to pray for them. And I looked at the page and I did not pick... <laughs> I looked at the page, and I didn't go in the order that God said. I looked for what I would consider to be the early, uh, the easiest one on the page. Okay, like the one most likely to be in the room because they were pretty specific. And so I called out the first one, and lo and behold, a person came forward. And when I prayed for them, I said, okay, so, you know, it's God that does the healing, you know, and, and you have to activate your faith because Jesus himself could do no mighty works if there wasn't faith. So I want you to... It, this is who he is. This is what he does. Just, you know, stretch out your hand and we'll pray for the person. And well, the first person fell over. And so I thought that was a good sign. And so I called out the second easiest one on the page and they, I, they, they happened to be in the room. One person came forward for that too. And so we prayed for them and, and the spirit fell on them and it was great. And now I'm going, okay. So I called out what was the third easiest one on the page. And this is how I remember it because um, I said, is there somebody here scheduled for laser surgery in their left eye? And again, that was the third easiest one on the page. And again, this, this old, older, gray-haired woman comes forward. And by now, I'm so excited because the first one was in the room, and the second one was in the room, and now the third one's in the room. I can't help myself. And I just go, oh, boy, I said, I don't even know what I'm doing. And... <laughs> And the woman, she's getting close, and she goes, well, she says, if you don't know what you're doing, don't pray for me. And I said, I said, no. I said, that's the point. I said, just people live by faith. All of us are supposed to do something that we don't know what we're doing. I said, most just people I know live by safe, and they only do what they're comfortable with and never move into the supernatural realm of the Lord. I said, this is an example of what we're all supposed to be doing. She said, okay. And when I prayed for her, she fell over, started laughing, and she says, my eye moved in my head. My eye moved in my head. And I thought, yay, hot dog, you know. Anyway, and I got an email from her about three weeks later, and she, she said, the next week I went to my eye surgery. I was scheduled for eye surgery, and she she said, they're taking forever going over and over my eye. Finally, I said, is something wrong? And they said, I don't know what happened, ma'am, but your eye is perfectly healed. You don't need eye surgery anymore. And, you know, it was just like amazing. Anyway, long story short, how are we doing for time? Okay. How many? Okay. Okay. Long story short. I never, still never saw any wheelchairs healed. And, um, uh, and I want to tell you how, why. I love prophecy so much. And why it hurts me that so many churches um, don't allow 
for the testimony of Jesus because, you know, I know that sometimes it's flaky and I know that sometimes, I mean, but, you know, I feel like sometimes we're so hard on the prophets. I know a lot of teachers that, you know, I can think of whole movements, you know, shepherding movement, etc. They'll take a thing and sometimes they go a little excess here or do something, but, you know, and the Bible talks about false teachers. The Bible talks about false apostles. The Bible talks about false sheep, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing. But the only person you ever hear about is the poor old false prophets, you know. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and in the New Testament, what we're supposed to do is judge prophecy, you know. The two or three prophets prophesy, let the others we carefully test what has been said. And New Testament prophecy needs to be judged. But we have to accept it and train it up till we hit the higher levels rather than just, you know, <laughs> Throw it out. We don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. And so I start getting these, uh, 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 this prophetic word. I, a person Skypes me from Norway, a friend of mine, a personal intercessor, and she said to me, she said, um, how's Judah? That's my son. That's our second son. He's 26 now. He said, how's Judah? And I said, fine. She said, I, I said, why? She said, well, she said, I just saw a picture of him on Facebook with his rugby uniform, and suddenly the Spirit of God, you know, highly alerted me, and I wondered if there was something wrong. I, I felt a, a, a tremendous attack coming at him. I just wondered if he was okay. And, and I said, no, he's perfectly fine. This was, you know, uh, in early September. At the 28th of September, I'm at this prophetic conference in Canada with this young prophetic guy, and he and I are talking at the end of a meeting. He's in his uh, 20s, and, you know, uh, and we were doing a conference together. And he, we, at the end of the conference, we were talking about the meeting and saying, oh, wasn't that awesome? God did this and that. And, and suddenly he looks at me and said, Stacy, I just had a vision. I said, what was the vision? He said, I saw a tremendous wave of healing coming to your church. He said, and it's, it's he said, it's like, it's huge. It's like a tsunami wave of healing coming to your church. And, and this was September 28th. And he said, it's going to happen before Christmas. And, and, and he said, it's, it's amazing. He said, like, it's so big. It, like, the lame will walk, the blind will see kind of tsunami wave of healing. And it's going to happen before Christmas. And it's going to affect one million people before Christmas. Now, I don't know about you. When you get a word like that, I just go, okay. Thank you, God. And I begin to wage war. I say, thank you, Jesus. And I start collecting all the prophetic words about healing. We've had a lot of them over our church. And I just start praying them. And so for a few days, I just took that word. Thank you, God, for the wave of healing coming to our church. And Lord, because if, you know, Hebrews 2 says, if the word did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. And sometimes when you receive a word, if you don't mix your faith with it, it has no effect. All of them died in the wilderness, even seeing the great miracles of Moses, the manna every day, the mountain shaking, the finger of God, right? Moses' face shining, and they died in the wilderness because they didn't believe. The word did not profit them. That's the context of Hebrews 4, I think it is, or 2. Because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard. And so I took those words, and for a few days I prayed them, and then you know how it is, you get busy, and I forgot. Well, one week later, I am in Madison, Wisconsin. 
And that is a couple hours ahead of Kelowna, British Columbia, where I live, where Wesley was. And I'm in speaking in the afternoon at a conference with a, a, another prophetic guy. It was a HIM conference, Steve Springer Church. And he had a, me and it was a prophetic conference and another guy named Doug Addison. And I get up to speak, and Doug Addison's sitting on the front row, and I notice him get up after about 15 minutes. He has tears flowing down his face, and he goes and sits at the back. And I'm thinking, either like I'm really awesome preaching today, I'm moving his heart, or something's wrong. But it was the latter, actually, so sad but true. So anyway, uh, and he just sat at the back, and he said after 15 minutes, he texted 350 intercessors because he was hit with this tremendous grief. And he said it felt like a spirit of death. And then he said, so he prayed that was coming against me and my family, and he just wept through my whole sermon. I, know, I didn't know all the details of this till we went for supper. So we go for supper at 6 o'clock, and he's telling me this story. When you got up, I felt this tremendous spirit of grief. At first, he said it felt like death, but about, you know, at the end of your sermon, it turned up from grieving to believing. And I said, uh, thanks, I guess, he said. I feel like this tremendous battle is coming to you and your family, this tremendous trial. But don't worry, it'll turn from grieving to bleeding. I said, thanks, I guess, you know. And half an hour later, I get a call from Wesley in Kelowna, who's in emergency with our son, who was 24 at the time. And he said, Stacy, uh, Judah's just been in a rugby accident. And he said, it's very serious. He said, the neurosurgeons are saying, uh, he said, he's broken his neck, C4, C5. You know, it's crushed the vertebrae, and they're going to do an operation. They're going to put in a new disc. It's all totally smashed. He said, but the biggest problem is that, is that uh, there's severe spinal cord damage. And the neurosurgeons told me that we can fix broken bones, but there's absolutely nothing we can do for spinal cords, and your son has severe spinal cord damage. He said they've sent in the social workers, the emergency doctors, the this, the that. He said, and they've told me 95% chance your son will be a quadriplegic for the rest of his life, 24 years old. And he said, but Judah's awake here in emergency. Do you want to talk to him? I said, of course. So Wesley puts the phone to Judah's ear. And I said, Judah, how are you doing? And he said, Mom, I can't feel anything. I can't feel anything below my neck. And the first words out of my mouth are, Judah, things that are impossible with man are possible with God. I'm going to go pray. And needless to say, I didn't go to the service lap that night. I went to this little upper room, and I began to pray. And I took all the prophecies over my son and all my kids. And I, and I began to talk to God, all, me by myself in a little room alone with God. And I'm praying as only a mother can pray. And I said, God, you, you are my friend. And I am your friend. And you promised that if I would obey you, that you would be with my sons, that you would be with my children. And Lord, I have obeyed you. And you know, we have boldness to go before the throne of grace in time of need. And I began to take the scripture because Jesus, when he was faced with temptation and tested by the devil himself, he took the scriptures and he said, it is written. And every test that Satan threw at him, he picked up the word of God and he said, it is 
is written. And, and I went before the throne of grace and, and I, I took the scripture of Daniel 7 where, you know, the ancient of days took his seat. And I remember when I prayed Daniel, the book of Daniel, when I got to Daniel 7, it said, and the ancient of days sat down. Or the Ancient of Days took his seat. And I remember thinking of God actually doing that action of sitting down and taking the place of authority in the center of the throne and dominions were given to him and powers and everybody begins to worship the Ancient of Days. And it goes on in Daniel 7, as you know, you know, till later it goes, and the little horn was waging war against the saints and overpowering them until, until, the Ancient of Days pronounced judgment in favor of the saints. And so that's the scripture that God began to, to give me. You know, the it is written. And I took the prophecies and I said, God, you promised. And you are truth itself. And you are not a man that you should lie. And this is what you said. That, you know, and I began to quote every prophecy over the lives of my children. And then I said, and God, it is written. You know, that when the little horn waged war against the saints and overpowered them until the ancient of days pronounced judgment. And so I began to say, God, I am asking you as my friend, get up off your throne and pronounce judgment in favor of my son. And I said it over and over, just me and God, get up off your throne and pronounce judgment in favor of my son because we have boldness. We don't go begging. We have boldness. We have confidence before the throne of grace to have help in time of need. And I just said it over and over. Get up off your throne and pronounce judgment in favor of my son. And I just stood on that scripture. And, you know, uh, long story short, uh, you know, four days later, I get an email from Brazil. And the email is from an intercessor in Brazil that has fasted and prayed for my oldest son. You know, for over a year, the Lord put it on her heart. And she prays for leaders. And she's a, nobody in Brazil really knows her except a few leaders. But it doesn't matter who knows you as long as God knows you. Paul, I know. Peter, I know, said the demons. But who are you? You know, who are you in the spirit? The spirit world know you, you know? And, uh, and so I get this email from her, and she said, Stacy, the accident had happened Saturday. You know, uh, he'd had the operation for the bones and put a titanium disc in and everything, you know. And, and they said it was very badly damaged. All the muscles were shattered. The, the, they had to pick out the little bones out of his thing. They, you know, it, but, they, you know, he was just, like, immobilized. And they, they, they did what they could, but as they said, we can fix broken bones. There's nothing we can do for spinal cords. So Wednesday, I get this email, and she said, Tuesday night, we heard about the accident, your son's accident. She said, I want you to know Brazil is praying for you. I send her an email back Wednesday. The accident happened Saturday. I said, because uh, I know she hears from God. I said, did the Lord show you? I said, thank you very much. Did the Lord show you anything? She sends me an email back later that night, and she says, as a matter of fact, he did. On Saturday... I felt a tremendous burden to pray for you and your family. I took the whole day off, and I, and I interceded all day long for you and your family. She said, late in the afternoon, early evening, I had a very clear vision. And in the vision, God was seated on his throne. And he was looking at you, Stacy, with these amazing eyes of love. And she said, all of a sudden, God got up from his throne. 
And when I read those words, and she said, he walked over to where you were, and she said the rest of the vision. But when I read those words, and God got up from his throne, nobody in the world knew that that's what I prayed. But when I, you know, when we pray, like 1 John 5, anything according to his will, we know that we have the petition that we required of him. And so I knew it. I knew it. When I read those words, he got up from his throne. I knew he had pronounced judgment in favor of my son. But what happened in my son's body was extraordinary. All of a sudden, he began to wiggle his toes. And the neurosurgeon said this, that's a good sign. They said, it means there's life in the spinal cord. And then after that, he began to put a, you know, his left, the toes in his left foot. Then he began to, you know, pump his foot like a gas pedal motion. They said, that's good. And the day after that, you know, every day a little more movement came back. He lifted his, his left leg and he could bend his knee. And, and, and then, then all of a sudden the right leg, the toes began to wiggle. And the next day this happened. And long story short, they kept, but every time they said, well, we don't know, you know, sometimes the feet come, but the, the hands are the last to come back and he couldn't move anything in his hands etc etc long story short five weeks minus one day my son walked out of that hospital walked walked out of that hospital and he has never used a wheelchair never he is 100% healed he moves his fingers he types he skateboards he plays rugby only touch rugby not tackle rugby you know I, I, I mean he does everything that he did before and the first person i ever saw walk out of a wheelchair was my own son But I learned one thing, and, and I'll say this, that when Judo walked out of that hospital five weeks later, over one million people had, Jude, had viewed Judah Campbell recovery page. The whole world prayed for all, it. went on rugbydump.com. All the rugby world players of the earth, because it happened at a rugby game, watched my son get healed by Jesus Christ. It was awesome. The Canadian Rugby Hall of Famer came and visited my son. I mean, I went to France, the top team of France that won Europe. It, in Toulouse, France, they, 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 they all signed their rugby jersey. And I mean, my son's got like a like lot of great things out of that neck injury. You know, that's actually pretty valuable to this day, you know. Uh, and and the, the thing is this, though. That, that, that this is not for a select few. You know, this is, this, is, this is not for a few people. This is actually, this is actually the Bible. It's, it's for whosoever will. This is supposed to be like normal Christianity. Like in, in the Bible, it's like normal. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, here you go. And, and when I was in that hospital, you know, for those five weeks, day after day, and, you know, in the outpatient and all that, you know, there were so many people in wheelchairs, young people, you know, old people, accidents. And I want to say this, you know, when I first started getting those words, it was all about me and my ministry and all, oh, you know. And when I was in the hospital, I realized this has nothing to do with me. There's a whole bunch of people in your hospital, in your extended care units, in your that are 
Their whole future is dependent on our ability to do this. If the church doesn't learn how to do this, there's people that will be quadriplegics for the rest of their life, paraplegics, etc., etc. And 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 it, there's there's human lives on the other side of the church's ability to manifest the works of Jesus. And Jesus, when he was praying in John 17, he said this, Holy Father, I have manifested your name. I have made known who you are on the earth. And, you know, I know that God can work in any circumstances and we can learn how to be abased and we can learn how to abound. And God gives grace. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And there's supernatural grace for even momentary light afflictions and and there's the Hebrews 11 and the but others, and they're often in the very same chapter. And I'm not, you know, throwing away the tensions of the Bible, but I, I'll tell you, I believe that most of us should learn how to do this just to become more and more like Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.